Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ari Zucker, and welcome to podcast number nine of Inspiring Women Revolution. Welcome to Inspiring Women Revolution. On this podcast, we talk about breaking the cycle. Here, we talk about the importance of supporting each other as women. Here, we inspire each other to stand tall, find our strengths, and succeed to where we want to be. We encourage each other constantly to better our lives, along with sharing our downfalls that helps make us reach further to achieve our goals. We all have our stories, and these stories are what makes us real, raw, and honest. Our stories are being told for you. Our goal is to help you see that no matter the drama in your life, your goals are attainable. Inspiring Women Revolution, building up relationships with you. Today on Inspiring Women Revolution, I am going to talk about and make a tribute to those who save lives. And I'm really excited to share a conversation that I had with a woman named Natalie Kuznetsov. And she's a critical care and trauma nurse. She has an organization called DRAN, supporting mental health to our frontline workers. And I'm going to play some highlights from her interview uh, that I did with her a while back in my other podcast, Everything from A to Z. Today, I want to talk about the amazing human beings in this world, but all, because Inspiring Women Revolution isn't just about inspiring women. We're, it's about inspiring women to be great for everybody. And this is a woman who is also great for humankind. And the reason I want to talk about our frontline workers is because, you know, it's much like you can kind of compare the way we used to treat our men that came back from Vietnam and the way we treat our officers and people nowadays, right? There's, if you go back in history and you look at the way we can compare the way we left people behind, it's a little bit of what we're doing right now. Instead of seeing people as human beings and the stress and the trauma and the mental health issues that people of service have to go through in order to try and help, right? We all have mental therapy that we need to work on in our lives. Everyone in this planet can use some sort of support in helping you get through your life. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think it's really important to address that people of service put so much on their shoulders. And I, I, I start this conversation because... I was reading an article about the Northern California fires that just re happened this year and how it affected Oregon and, and, and California. And now there's another fire in Colorado. Um, I am was personally affected by it because I, I have my house in, is in South Lake Tahoe. And of course, we all had to evacuate. It's very sad and it's very scary. And there are a lot of homes that didn't make it. A lot of families that went back to nothing. Natural disasters, they're here and we have to live with them, as we all know. And they are very sad, and they are very scary, and they're never going away. And it's something that we'll, we'll always have to deal with, and it's heartbreaking, right? It's heartbreaking to see families and people go through them. And with that being said, we as human beings remain resilient. The loss of possessions can be replaced. The loss of human life, as we know, cannot. And those who have been affected struggle in different ways, and I get that. 
and we try to find ways to move on and life can be very cruel and can be very hard and it can be very painful. But what I do want to reflect on is the incredible people who are there for us, fighting for us. And those are our firemen and women, our policemen and women, our armed service men and women, our frontline working men and women, and our National Guard. All those who put their life on the line for us. You may not like the way it's done, but when it is your turn to be saved, who do you turn to to save you? Most of us are looking for someone in uniform, someone we feel is trained. And this is not to take away by any means all the good Samaritans out there as well who save lives or who do something brave to help another human being. They too should be recognized. That's why I believe that these servicemen and women that I have mentioned above should be valued more than most value them. My grandfather's And my father served this country, and I will never forget the personal stories they shared that helped make this country what it is today, because we live in an amazing country. My mother was in the medical field before she retired, and I will never forget how many times we pulled over on the side of the road when I was a kid, if we saw an accident. My mother was the first person to run out and help. These are the kinds of people that we can take for granted. And we do take for granted, especially right now. I think that's why I believe so much in being the best you you can be, that when you help yourself, you truly are helping others around you. It is the work that you put in to create strength around you, not victim mentality. Everyone, every single person has the choice to be better and be a hero. Regardless of your circumstances, they may be more difficult than others, but it is a choice. You get to choose to behave badly or you get to choose to be a hero. And a hero doesn't mean Superman. It means be a hero in your community. I believe so much in empowering women because so many amazing women can step up and really help We all can be better, and that is why I love Inspiring Women Revolution so much because it really is about bettering ourselves so that we can better every single person around us so we can build up the communities around us. So I'm very, very excited to share these interview highlights with Natalie. She has a very calm and very still way of handling traumatic situations. She's very wonderful to listen to. She was not born in this country, but she appreciates where she is and what she's doing and how she's doing it. And I'm very excited to replay highlights of her interview. So thank you so much for listening to this opening. And here is Natalie. My personal experiences started with disasters about a little over 10 years ago. And I, I, I've deployed to disasters with multiple different organizations, multiple different countries, as well as nationally. So I have had a lot of experience with disaster response as a medical provider, as a nurse, or as a first responder. However, when you are at a ground zero in a disaster, things really change and it presents a whole other set of challenges that you wouldn't think otherwise. So it's very different if you go out somewhere and you respond to a disaster versus if you have to respond to a disaster in your own backyard. And then you have to worry about your personal issues 
as well as um, how does that affect you professionally? So I live in Napa, California, and three years ago, we had the firestorm. I went to sleep. I, I was working at the time in an intensive care unit uh, about 10 minutes away from my house at the Queen of the Valley. And when I went to sleep, uh, listening to the radio, hearing some sirens around without thinking too much of it. And the morning after, we woke up and we were on fire on three sides. I went to the ICU and we had a lot of people that couldn't show up because they simply couldn't make it there physically. They were worried about evacuations. We had some nurses that had to go evacuate in the middle of the night and leaving their shifts. And it kind of started a relatively long recovery process in Napa and Santa Rosa and all the surrounding areas where there was a lot of destruction, a lot of evacuation and hospitals were forced to evacuate. And it really put a lot of stress on the community. So for me, as a disaster relief responder, I felt like I can help. I just, I was just working as a flight nurse. I just stopped working as a flight nurse about two weeks before that, also locally. So I am, and I'm trained in disasters. And, you know, once we set up our ICU and we were fully staffed and we had everybody taken care of, I found myself on an outside trying to figure out what I need to do. How can I help the community? Because I can function as a medical provider pretty much in an ICU, ER, on an ambulance, on a helicopter, and in a disaster. So I'm really, I was very fit for that specific situation on both personal level as well as professional. But I couldn't find myself to do anything because uh, organizations respond to disasters in a very organized fashion. And there is no infrastructure to engage the community within that response. Because many organizations come in and they bring their own resources. However, um, really there is no way for the community to integrate. So for example, me as a flight nurse, as an ICU nurse, as an AR ER nurse, there was no way for me to fit into that disaster response. So I was trying to find a ways, how can I be helpful? Because the last thing that I wanted to do is go home and sit there and wait for my next shift to come. Mm. So I, it was a significant, significant struggle because I knew I could help, but there was no avenue for me to do that. And I struggled with that quite a bit. I ended up um, going helping with in a shelter, but there was a lot of that process of, I want to help, I can help, but I can't. And on top of it, I had to worry about, I lived on my own at the time, so I had to worry about my dog and my cat that are being at home, and what if we need to evacuate? What if I go and I travel 30 minutes away or an hour away to help in a neighboring hospital, and what happens if I need to evacuate? What's going to happen with my dog and my cat? Who can evacuate them? What's going to happen with you know electricity, or if gas shuts down, or if my own hospital starts evacuating. So there are so many extra layers that are added, so much, so many extra stressors that are added to the individual themselves. Um, so kind of understanding that and being involved in peer support for multiple years before that and doing critical care trauma, uh, being a first responder for almost 10 years, I could see all of those issues that are missing and the support that is missing specifically for disaster relief responders. Because in a situation of a disaster, really everyone turns into a disaster responder, whether they're trained to do that or not. Mm-hmm. So, and we have a very specific set of, um, special set of needs and 
things that we deal with as first responders, as healthcare professionals in disasters. And that was kind of the thought process behind what we started doing as DRAN, Disaster Responder Assets Network, is to really support those disaster responders in disasters with whatever they need, whether it's do you need childcare, whether you need uh, assistance with evacuation, whether you need financial assistance, legal assistance, whether you have issues with uh, licensing or whatever that is. So all those variety of issues that they may be needed for frontline responder, for disaster relief responder, we were there with array of these resources because we had also a lot of volunteers that wanted to help. So it was almost a, an ability to create kind of a switchboard. Right. Yeah. So, and during the COVID-19, we really had to focus on one specific thing. And what we've decided to focus was mental health and peer support, because that's one of the things that is currently uh, is very acute and going to be even more acute going forward. So why, just for, for people listening who don't know a lot, maybe on the first responders side, what is the importance of having you in the long run what makes that so important the value of your organization well so we are here to support people long term and typically with mental health issues these arise down the road so an example from my own experiences uh, my first disaster that I got deployed to I went to Haiti I came back and my issues, my struggles with anxiety and post-traumatic stress and suicidal ideations, all of these issues did not come up for months after the initial deployment. And that's not uncommon for disaster relief responders and first responders because we're very action-oriented. We're there to help people. So once we're in action, we're very good at compartmentalizing and, and, and putting things on the side, our own feelings, our own emotions in order to do our job. Because otherwise, if I would be overwhelmed with my own emotions while dealing with a traumatic incident of somebody else, I wouldn't be able to perform. So right. with time, we really learn how to put these things in compartments. So down the road, when the crisis is over, when things are kind of coming down, that's where these things start to bubble up in the middle of the night, when you're on your own, when you have racing thoughts, when you have consistent anxiety, when you start developing health issues, and this list goes on and on. So that's why our work as provision of mental health resources is really just starting as all the COVID-19 things are coming down. It's incredible, Natalie, because I do, you know, even on a small scale, figuring out, number one, that you are having these post-traumatic uh, issues, whether it's, you know, feelings or dreams or you're waking up with anxiety to, number one, recognize that it's got to be difficult for someone. But number two, to know that you can communicate it, because I mean, I still come from, I'm kind of step one one foot in and one foot out of a generation where you didn't talk about things and you brushed them under the rug and you were just told to learn how to deal with them. And I still think that there's a lot of that in our society where to communicate that you need help should not be scary and it should be welcomed. Thank you for saying that. I do think that it's really important for in general for for the public to acknowledge that it's okay to not be okay and 
mental health issues are there, whether you decide to acknowledge them or not. It's that shadow theory that in a second that you're going to turn around, it's going to go ahead and, and uh, potentially swallow you, right? So I think yes. just shining light on that shadow and saying that it's there, it exists, just that alone is already a huge step towards recovery. Now, I can tell you from my experiences, what I've seen with first responders is that we are on top of the general societal things, general societal stigma against mental health and against asking for help. There's also that step up from the fact that we are the ones that people call when, when there's problems, right? I am the one who is the rescuer who comes in and fix the problem that is in front of me. So for me to admit that I am not okay, it's, it's almost an extra level of, it's almost an extra step because I'm the one who's supposed to fix issues. I'm trained to do that. And we are trained, you know, you finished your call. It was a bad call. Okay. Clean the ambulance, keep going. You know, you have somebody just die on your gurney. Well, let's clean the gurney. Let's keep going because this is, we, we need to have the systems operating. So there is very little uh, ingrained within our culture to attend our own mental health. I think over the last uh, over the last some years, people started talking about it more and more. However, this is there's still huge stigma that is attached to it, especially within healthcare, within first responders, uh, within disaster relief responders. This is a no touch topic. Yeah, it's it it definitely sounds like it because I you know um, just, I know off. Uh, this podcast for a moment, we started speaking about uh, my mother is, was someone who was also in the medical field and seeing a lot of trauma. And she too has grown up in an era where you brush everything under the rug. And as a child, you really start to see a human being change from one place of happiness and joy to struggle emotionally. It comes in so many levels, various levels is that right? It's not just one size fits all. Of course not. We're all different and we all respond to stress and trauma differently. And all of these responses are normal. You know, some people withdraw, the other ones tend to attack. Um, others tend to, you know, go and separate entirely altogether. And the, the variations to trauma are huge in terms of responses. And it manifests itself in all so many so many levels and so many aspects of life, anything from your relationships to finances, to addiction, to problems with kids. That's a huge one for first responders. I mean, there are studies showing that children of first responders have significant more, uh, significant increase amount of mental health issues and struggles you know, and it goes into all of those aspects. And also for us, on top of it, we have to worry about our licenses, maybe a gun, your performance at work, and just even even the aspect of, you know, you, you may be, your concentration level may be decreased because of the stress, because of the anxiety, because of lack of sleep and all that stuff. And you make a mistake. Uh, and for us, mm -hmm. the mistake can cost somebody else's life. So... I think it manifests itself, itself on so many other aspects of life, both personal and professional. And right now, I mean, with 
the COVID uh, pandemic, you add on top of all of those things, you also add danger to self with exposure, with lack of personal protective equipment, also the danger of potentially exposing your family to all of those same issues. And it adds up. Yeah. So you're, you're, it's not just you that's affected Mm -hmm. by any of your first responders um, situations that you go to. And especially Mm -hmm. now, you know, I think when we give each other the respect of being human, I feel like it would change so much of who we are just with that Mm -hmm. step alone. I agree with you. And thank you for bringing that up. I think that it's really sometimes hard to forget, uh, to remember, we're all in this together. The better we do as a society, the the better we support each other, the better outcome is going to be for everyone. There are wonderful, wonderful organizations. And one of them that we currently work with called First uh, First Responders Support Network. They run a what's called West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat. It's the only retreat on the West Coast that is designed for first responders um, to really work through their trauma at as a first responder. It's a fantastic, fantastic program. And there are lots of supporters. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of support for, for first responders if we choose to take it. If we take off that top player and saying it's okay to not be okay i do love that it is okay to not Mm -hmm. be okay because so many of us are not normally uh especially um when you're when you're on the front lines uh, it's a incredible support system just hearing it i think i'm i'm just so uh in love with this idea of really being there for people and that you have the choice the hardest part is for someone to mm-hmm. either pick up the phone or make that email or connect with someone to get mm-hmm. in to the circle of love. Basically, I'm very big on, on love and support and communication. And, and, you know, it's always my through line is how can we help people find that love, help that support and that communication. That's fantastic. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. It's the hardest thing that you can do is pick up that phone and make that phone mm-hmm. call. So if it is something that someone listening could really use and really need, is your organization expanding out nationally? Because uh, you're founded in California, right? Yes, we so. are. We started off of Napa, California, and we provide services nationally. There's nobody who's going to call us and we will refuse to give services to. Uh, we do crisis intervention on a regular basis. Uh, we don't necessarily have a what's called a crisis line. Uh, but when people call us, we provide uh, non-emergent crisis intervention. If we need to send a referral, if it's somebody who's potentially suicidal, uh, we're going to refer them to appropriate uh, to appropriate channels. If it's somebody who requires therapy one-on-one, or even a psychiatrist, we can we can make referrals to mental health practitioners that are know that, that know how to take care of first responders because we are we do need different things than an average, uh, than a general public. And work with us is different comparing to, again, to an average public. So um, that's what we're focused on. We collect resources that are specifically appropriate for frontline responders, and we refer people to them. We also, one of the services that we provide is we give 
classes to mental health practitioners in order to support them in their care for first responders. Wow, that's fantastic. So it is really hard you you because it's not one size fit all. I can I love that there are those the relationships that you have where we say this program will work best for you and this program will you know, will help you here. And I, I think that is so important as well as we're all, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all in this together and we're people helping people. So that's a, that is a, a beautiful thing. Your journey is incredible. And would you mind sharing a little bit about uh, how, where you grew up and, and how you made it all the way to Napa? I feel like I've been very fortunate with uh, experiences that I've had in my life. I've, I grew I grew up in two different countries. I was born in Moscow, uh, Russia, USSR at a time. Uh, I left in 1991, right before tanks were in Moscow, before USSR fell apart. And my family immigrated to Israel, uh, which was drastically different culturally mm-hmm. in every possible aspect imaginable. I spent second 10 years of my life in Israel. And then at age of 19, I immigrated to the United States and uh, pretty much lived my whole United States life in California and then came to Napa uh, for work. I've always wanted to be a flight nurse uh, since, since the time that I, that I got to be a nurse. And uh, I came to Napa to work as a flight nurse and never left. What made your family decide to go from Russia to Israel? Well, USSR was falling apart at a time, and people were trying to figure out how to survive. I, I really don't have the understanding of my family and how they felt, and how it must have like how do you how did they even exist at a time? So I can't even imagine try to mm-hmm. judge or even try to explain of what they've gone through. Because USSR is an entirely different, was an entirely different animal with an entirely different mm-hmm. concepts and existences where you had no food, where you had to stand in line to get the one loaf of bread and one, one thing of butter for family, where, you know, there's a square footage assigned to each person and you couldn't just buy or sell things, things that here in the United States would take for granted. Uh, in USSR, that was not even a thing. So I can't even start to judge or imagine how that felt for my family to leave Russia. Um, but my understanding is that people were just trying to figure out how to survive. And where do you go? And how, how do you provide for your family? How do you make it through this? And my family ended up in Israel. Wow, what an incredible time in your life. The day-to-day mm-hmm. survival uh, I think is really important to remember, mm-hmm. but not dwell on, you know, you, you go, you know what, I appreciate that time and what they did. And now I want to share some amazing light for others. Mm-hmm. I do like to touch upon those real human aspects and, you know, how easy and how difficult it is for everyone has a, di- mm-hmm. everyone has a different story, you know, and, and everybody's story matters. Everybody's. It's just a matter on how they choose to use it for the proactive and positive, you know, or the opposite. We all have a choice. We all have a choice every minute of every day. And making the choice to fall up as opposed to falling down is really important. 
And we all have the strength and the power to make that choice. Well, I couldn't say it any better than that. <laughs> I am so grateful to have interviewed Natalie, and I hope that you get a chance to check out disasteratsets.org. Again, that's disasteratsets.org. It's also in the podcast notes. If you know anybody or need help yourself, please spread the word with this podcast. This organization is still moving strong. I want to thank you all for listening today. I know it was a heavier podcast, but I felt necessary. And I will see you all next week. Thank you.